Hi there, and welcome to Indie Know, a podcast hosted by me, Lane Northcutt. Each episode, I will interview an indie author or publishing professional and chat about all things related to the author journey, including writing, editing, publishing, marketing, advertising, and so much more. If you're an author or just interested in learning more about writing, then stick around. Each week, my goal is simple, to help you learn a bit more about the craft and the industry. After listening, I hope you'll feel a little bit more Indie Know. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Indie Know. Today's guest is Morgan Ray. Morgan Ray is the best-selling author of the Bramble series. She lives in Vancouver, Washington with her wife. When not writing, Morgan enjoys chasing her cats, exploring haunted places, and eating cupcakes. Without further ado, welcome, Morgan. Hey, Lane. Thanks for having me. Yeah, and yeah, happy to have you. Um, first off, I'd love for you to just give us a little bit more about yourself and, and your, your background and, and how you got started as an author. Yeah. So um, in 2020, I published my first series. Um, I decided to go indie uh, for a lot of reasons. We, um, I can answer any questions about that, but um, I'm a YA author. Um, I have a background actually in social work and as a librarian, mm -hmm. uh, which lends well to young adult writing. Um, and I published a uh, full trilogy in 2020 of um, young adult paranormal romance, uh, Sleeping Beauty inspired novels. Very cool. So tell me a little bit more about these books and, and how you got interested in the genre specifically. I've always been a big fan of young adult books. I just have always loved the emotionality of them. Um, I mm -hmm. love that they're, they're stories driven by feelings. Um, and I've always um, had a thing for paranormal romance. Um, I wouldn't call myself a twihard, but I did enjoy the Twilight books. I know that that's controversial. I know that's a hot button topic for people you know, how they're written and things like that. Um, but I just enjoyed the emotionality of them. And I wanted to write one, um, write a book similar, but with a much stronger heroine um, that had a stronger message for readers. Um, so I went about writing, it's called Brambles. I went about writing my Bramble series um, based on the premise of a paranormal romance, but with a heroine that saves herself is kind of how I wanted to go in. Um, because I feel like the genre is really... Um, caught up in kind of damsels in distress, which I love. It's a fun thing to read about. It's a fun trope. Um, and I've always been sucked in by that, but I got kind of tired of that and I wanted to do something else. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a great reason to, to change the genre a little bit, right? You, you know, you, we see the same thing a lot of times and, and unfortunately more than not, you know, they, they make their way into very, very popular books, but they are a trope for a reason, right? But I love that you are kind of turning that trope on its head by having your heroine save herself. Can you talk a little bit more about that that decision and and what it's like to write on that side of things? Yeah, so my series is a uh, kind of a blending of genres. I went with paranormal romance um, instead of vampires. I went with ghosts <laughs> uh, to mix it up a little bit, and then I also threw in a fairy tale um, inspiration. So it's not a retelling or an adaption. I didn't copy paste a fairy tale into my story mm -hmm. and rework it. Instead, I um, threw in some elements of Sleeping Beauty into the Bramble series, specifically the idea of her kind of in the regular Sleeping Beauty tale, you know, she's she's going along living her life and then um, she pricks her finger and she's no longer an active person in her own story, right? She's just mm -hmm. asleep and she waits for someone to save her. So in her story, in my story, she comes along a curse that gets activated and she kind of has the choice to be a sleeper and not participate. Um, but she decides that um, 
she may have the power to reverse the roles a little bit and fight what's been put on her. And she basically doesn't do what she's supposed to do. She doesn't fall asleep and take what's coming. She becomes an active participant in the curse and um, decides to change it into something that she can live with. Ooh, very interesting. Yeah. And, and, and I love that you talk about ghosts because I feel like that's something that we don't, we don't really see a lot of ghosts anymore, I feel like. But how, how do the ghosts live in your world and, and what are they like? Are they, are they like Casper? Do they look like that? Or do they look like a, a shadow? Or, or how do you describe them? So um, for a little background, I'm a big Buffy the Vampire multiverse nerd. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm a big Joss Whedon fan. So my ghosts, um, and one of the words he uses in his stuff a lot is corporeal. So my ghosts are um, tangible, physical people who look like people. Oh, okay. um, I have two ghosts. They're both British because, you know, we, we girls, we love our British accent. <laughs> um, they're both British. They're both from uh, the 1800s, um, though the story takes place in Portland, Oregon. Mm-hmm. Um, they can choose to um, show themselves how, how they like. So they, they both pop up in the stories in unique ways. They don't show themselves at first corporeal. They show themselves other ways. But um, they can be corporeal, and that's how they interact with the character, with the main character. Okay. And, and how did you, how did you really get interested in paranormal romance at at first? Like what was the, what was the initial moment where, was it twilight for you or was it something else where you said, wow, I really love this idea of, of love with these other beings? It may have been twilight. You know, I'm a big fan of the Sookie Stackhouse novels as well. The, um, dead until I think it's dead until dark is the first one. I'm sorry mm. if I'm wrong. I haven't read them in a while, but um, the Sookie Stackhouse, um, geez, what's the True Blood TV show? Mm. I, I really enjoyed those novels, and I just kind of got hooked. You know, my in my early 20s, um, when I was in college, I needed a distraction, and man, I just couldn't get enough enough paranormal yeah. romance. It was just like the perfect high, you know, the steady break high. <laughs> yeah, and, and what is it about paranormal romance that that you? that you really love on the writing side of things, what, what, what about it really speaks to you? I think there's something unique in when you write paranormal characters that, because I'm a big fan of urban fantasy, mm-hmm. I've never been very drawn into high fantasy. And that's just me. I've, I've tried so many times to, to read Lord of the Rings. I just can't. <laughs> but I love the idea of having creatures that are magical and mystical and wonderful, but still have a footing in the real world. So they're still relatable. So vampires and ghosts, they always have that tragic, or they tend to, they tend to have those tragic backstories that are really delicious. You know, you don't Mm -hmm. have normal run-of-the-mill boring characters that get an afterlife. You know, no one wants to read about that. You get the, you know, the murdered man who wants a second chance at life or the, the wrongfully killed man who becomes a vampire. Like they're just always such delicious characters. Mm -hmm. And I think that the the fact that they're immortal and that they're they're bigger than human, but they still have those human emotions. I think it's just so easy to latch on and just really connect with those characters. Right. And would you say that your your characters, like you said, with the Josh we- Joss Whedon thing and and Buffy uh, multiverse, would you also say that it's similar to maybe that of the show Lucifer? You know, I haven't watched Lucifer. It's definitely on my Netflix to watch though. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, the only reason I ask is because, you know, I, I think my wife really loved that show when she was watching it and, um, and you know, the devil interacting with people and, and human form mm-hmm. in an attractive human form, usually. I was just wondering if that was something you 
you had seen and, and drew your inspiration from. But definitely. Um, in my own series, I don't want to give any way, away any spoilers, but in mm-hmm. my own series, there is a big bad um, beyond the curse. There is kind of like a, a looming darkness um, that provides some of those more yummy, darker characters, um, mm-hmm. such as Lucifer. That's all I'll say. Got it. Yeah, those those mysterious, brooding, dark men right, and women that... Yeah, we all have a thing for those, you know, just dark as, you know, coal characters that they're just yummy. I think it's just <laughs> human nature, I think. I love that you use words like yummy like and, and when describing characters and, and, and things like this, because I feel like that's something we don't see um, in certain other genres, but in, in romance and, and paranormal romance specifically, that that those kind of adjectives do tend to pop up. Yeah. And I do write young adult, right? So (laughs) my word choice is a little bit more flexible, which I love. Um, I actually had some adult beta readers going through my series pre-publishing and they had to keep checking with me um, because of the word usage, like words like Stan or things like that. They were like, that's not a word. And I'm like, actually it is. It's a word. (laughs) (laughs) So what, what drew you to put your paranormal romance into the, the young adult genre uh, or age group? And stick solely to that for this series rather than making the decision to go adult with it? That That's a good question. I kind of, I battled back and forth on that because traditionally para, paranormal romance can be really, um, really intimacy or sex heavy, mm-hmm. um, especially with series like uh, the Sookie Stackhouse novels that are adult novels. Um, I wanted to write a more emotions focused book and I've always wanted to uh, create my own coming of age novel that, um, you know, is loosely based on my own experiences. You know, we write what we know. That's kind of one of the top 10 author rules, right? You write what you right. know. One of those cliche things we're told. But I wanted to write something. I kind of just sat down and honestly, I just wanted to write my own Twilight. I wanted to improve upon it. I wanted to put my own my own heart's blood in it. And I wanted to create a story with all the, all the things that I love in literature, you know, the paranormal romance, the fairy tales, the, the heroine that saves herself. I just wanted to create something that would really inspire, you know, younger readers. I do um, have a background working as a children's librarian Mm -hmm. as well. So that's probably part of it too, is when I was, you know, writing and learning and working on the craft, I was, you know, reading, piggy and elephant to five-year-olds every day. So there was that, that spark of wanting to, to write something that, you know, really matters and really, really moves people and entertains people, but also kind of educates readers on, you know, on finding your own strength, um, which I could have done with an adult novel as well. And I, I may write adult novels in the future, but I think this specific heroine in this tale, which is better geared to that kind of older teenager um, age group. So would you find that the the experience you've had as a librarian has made any sort of impact or influence upon your writing? Yeah, I think it has. Being a librarian has um, given me the opportunity to, I was able to expose kids to all sorts of different literature and kind of see their reaction, you know, across the board, fantasies and nonfiction and urban fantasy and kind of see how how younger kids, I was um, elementary, so in my school, that was um, kindergarten through fifth grade. But seeing um, the stories that kids really, you know, attached to and were moved by was really, it was really an interesting experience, especially with those older kids, um, seeing them, um, I don't know, kind of find their own stories in literature when they're at that age where they kind of start thinking for themselves and mm-hmm. finding things that they like. Um, 
to kind of define them or, you know, help them with um, find their personhood it, um, was really interesting. And it, um, it did show me that kids are really into, um, you know, the spooky side of literature, you know, ghosts and witches and all that kind of stuff. I did see that um, anytime I ordered a book like that, it would fly off the shelf. <laughs> I want to go back really quickly on on the the decision you made to put ghosts in your book and not um, vampires or werewolves or or the standard, unless those are in there as well. I, I'm not sure. Um, so, can you elaborate more on on your character choice and and why you decided upon ghosts specifically? Yeah. Um, so, no, there aren't any vampires or werewolves in my in my book. <laughs> um, there's ghosts, and there are other creatures. I'll just I'll say, but they're not vampires okay. or werewolves. Um, honestly, I have read so many different variants of vampires. You know, there's the vampires that their faces squish when they transform. There's the vampires that can't be alive in the sunlight. There's the vampires that sparkle in the sunlight. You know, it's kind of all been done. And honestly, um, pre going indie, when I was querying agents, when I, when I was, you know, considering going traditional, it just, it didn't seem like there was much of a market for young adult vampire anymore. It just kind of seemed like it had been done. Mm-hmm. Um, and though I love vampires, I wanted to write something, something a little different. Um, I'm a big paranormal phenomenon nerd anyway. I've gone ghost hunting. I've done the EMF readers. <laughs> I watch those TV shows where they go in and, you know, do seances and try to talk to people and figure out if houses are haunted. I find all of that extremely entertaining. Mm-hmm. And I just, I just thought it would be fun to do something a little different, uh, to put in a paranormal creature that isn't the, isn't what you usually see. Um, and ghosts are fun, you know, they can appear, they can disappear, they can float through walls. They have all these powers that vampires don't have. Um, and I just thought it would be really fun to explore that. Yeah. And, and how did you do your research as far as, you know, what powers you decided to give them and, and their form and all of that? Because, you know, ghosts are something that we don't really have real hard, hard evidence or hard, um, hard facts about really, right? Yeah. So I read a lot of books. I actually went to, um, I live near Portland, Oregon. So I went to Powell's pre-pandemic and um, went to their occult section. And I bought almost every book I could find on supernatural and um, hauntings. I wanted to read kind of the real world ideas and things about Mm -hmm. that to borrow from. So I wanted to, so I read, you know, about how, you know, People who believe in ghosts, I won't say if I believe either way, mm-hmm. um, but people who believe in ghosts, um, kind of the phenomenon they experience. And then, of course, translating it to urban fantasy or urban, you know, urban fantasy. I wanted to elaborate on those and expand upon them and make them more fantastical, of course. But so the phenomenon, you know, that are that's most common is, you know, feeling cold. So mm-hmm. one of my ghosts does have that power. And another one is, you know, f- seeing black smoke or um, feeling disoriented. So my ghosts also use that. So I kind of wanted to put some real world inspiration into kind of what, how people see ghosts and media, how they see them, but also um, stir it up a little bit. So one of my ghosts can shape shift just because I wanted to do something different. Um, so it was a lot of just basic ghost research and then just a lot of creativity on top of that. Right. And with your ghost specifically, I'd love to know, are they, are they directly souls that have a purpose left to fulfill or are they just dead people who are still hanging around or, or how did they come to be if it's yeah, not a so, spoiler? 
Oh yeah, it's not a spoiler. It's it's on the um, the blurb on the back of the book, so I can totally tell you that much. So um, what happened is um, there was a man named Reginald who um, died as part of a ghostly curse. Um, his family is cursed um, because of um, an ancestor who you know mistreated witches, kind of that traditional um, storyline there. Um, but he. His family mistreated witches and they've been cursed so that um, every generation, um, there's only born one son and everyone else dies tragically and the mother will die tragically after giving birth. Um, so it's this terrible cycle. And um, in the birth order, he is the only one who has the ability to stop this curse by marrying this specific person who will come along. Basically, he gets his chance with this person and he fails. And um, he goes to a witch and he says, you know, I failed. Um, I can't let this curse go on. How do we fix it? And um, she allows him to um, keep the curse going by giving up his life and becoming a ghost. So mm. that's how he becomes part of the story. So, of course, my heroine um, ends up being the next person in this line who can end this curse. Um, so he comes and... Um, presents himself to the heroine um, and her choice is she can marry him ending his curse or send him away for another person to deal with in the future it's it's a birth order curse it's explained in the book mm. um, the second ghost is tied into the curse through some terrible circumstances um, he dies and is tied in so it becomes um, a love triangle and that this ghost the ghosts become or start uh, competing for the main character's affections and then it goes from there so one chose to continue the curse um, by dying and becoming a ghost, and the other one is um, wrapped in unwittingly um, by a witch's mistake, um, so feels kind of victimized by it. So she's caught up in this, this terrible curse that's kind of her birthright. My main character, her name is Sydney, mm -hmm. um, and she finds that if she um, marries a ghost, uh, she, the other one will be cast into oblivion without an afterlife, so it's game over. Or, of mm. course, she can pass on the curse to the next generation with a whole bunch of problems. So, And then there's the Sleeping Beauty theme, and that ties in. Um, so it gets really complicated for her really fast and really overwhelming. And the story is about how she handles that and how um, she chooses not to be a victim of circumstance and kind of takes the reins back on her own life. Mm. Now, do you feel that you would make the choice to go to the witch and become a ghost, or, or would, you, would you not take that risk? I totally would have become a ghost. Um, <laughs> It's really gruesome and, you know, it's that you got to have horror in a book about ghosts, right? Mm -hmm. um, the things that happen to his family members as part of this curse are really tragic and horrible. And it's about, you know, the love of your life being taken from you every single generation um, because uh -oh. of what one guy in his family did, one terrible, horrible human being did. I would definitely choose to become a ghost. I think it would be fascinating to be a ghost, honestly. <laughs> and what, what power would you want to have as a ghost? Um, it depends on if I'm haunting someone I like or someone I want to terrify. Um, <laughs> I like the idea of being able to manipulate time. I have a ghost that's able to do that. Mm. Um, I would love to do that kind of screw with people and turn back the clock a minute or two or, um, yeah, I think I'd go with manipulating time. He can't do it for long periods of time, but he can do it for a few minutes just to kind of screw with people, which is fun. <laughs> Yeah, that would be quite annoying, right? As, mm -hmm. Especially as an author who's trying to get something done on a deadline. I feel like, you know, they move the clock back a few minutes. You're like, wait, what? what, what what's going on? And then, and then that would get me all frazzled. And then the stuff I just worked on probably wouldn't have gotten done. Or, yep. or, or does, the time, does the time just change and everything you did within those minutes 
stays the same or does it does it all revert back to what it was doing what you were doing during that time you change it to it definitely gaslights he uses it to gaslight the main character sometimes and it's just really frustrating for her the mygos that does it gotcha. um, okay. it's just and it can be funny so oh yeah yeah time time changing is never fun even in real life i don't love changing the clocks back an hour right it's so irritating <laughs> So I'd love to chat more about the topic of queering and then deciding to become an indie because you talked about that earlier. Mm-hmm. You were queering this book, you were or in the process of queering this book and this series, and then you made the decision to become indie. And we obviously know that that worked out well for you. So I'd love to to hear about that process, that decision, and and the impact. Yeah. So um, Brambles, the Bramble series, the trilogy is my um, second. Brambles was my second book that I tried to query. Um, I queried a novel that's a mental health dystopian first, and I I couldn't get a good response for it. So I went back and I wrote another book, Brambles, Mm -hmm. and I queried that. And I got really good responses from agents. Um, It just wasn't the, this is not the droid you're looking for kind (laughs) of response of like, oh, it's a good book. It sounds like a good book and it's interesting, but I don't have the market for it. I don't have the market for it. I don't have the market for it. Um, which means that, you know, someone else with a similar idea may have gotten there first is kind mm-hmm. of how I interpreted that. Or, you know, it just, they weren't sure how to market ghosts and romance and I don't know. So I kept getting the, oh yeah, it's pretty good, but no. And I was like, well, if it's good and you like it, then I should be able to sell it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, you know, I was considering what to do at that point. I've got, it's it's hard when you get good rejection letters because you're like, well, how do I fix it? You know, right. you're like, I, I'm doing, you said it's good and the writing's good. So what am I doing wrong? <laughs> so at that point, I just happened um, to meet another indie author or someone who had become an indie author and who had published. Um, her name is Theta Va- or Th- Theta Va- Vale. It's spelled like Valley though. Mm. Um, she is an adult uh fantasy author, fantasy romance author. Um, I happened to meet her in my community through an event and um, I told her I was querying and it was really frustrating. And she said, Hey, have you ever thought of going indie? And I was like, uh, no, because that's a lot of work and that's terrifying. <laughs> and um, I want someone to hold my hand and tell me what to do. And she was like, okay, but this is how you do it. I will hold your hand and I will tell you what to do, which I know that not a lot of people get in their lives. So I'm very thankful that she was like, I will, um, ease your anxiety and I will tell you about how this process works. So we went out to coffee a few weeks later and she sat me down and she um, just kind of laid out what she had done, research she had done. Um, I don't know if, are you part of the 20 books to um, 50K community? Yeah. She's Mm -hmm. a member of that. So she had me join and just kind of, um, you know, lurk in the background and read people's posts about indie publishing, different genres they were doing. She told me about, you know, Amazon and KDP publishing and, you know, how to find editors and how to find book art and, um, how to find beta readers. And she just basically just sat with me and answered all my questions for two hours, which was really helpful. And then I went home I looked at my books, got a few more really nice rejection letters. And I just got to the point where I was like, you know what, if I don't, this was in 2018. And I was like, you know, there's only a few more months left of 2018. It's almost 2019. Mm -hmm. If I don't get a letter saying, yes, I will represent you. I'm just going to indie publish the series and I'm going to see what happens. So December rolled around and I hadn't got a a letter. So I started looking for my own book art. I found an editor. I started the process. And then um, in February, I uh, self-published my first book. 
of 20. Yay. Yeah. In 2020. <laughs> so sorry. It was the end of 2019, beginning of 2020. I went back too far, but mm. yeah, I'm just, I'm kind of an impatient person. So mm-hmm. I can only, I can only wait on things for so long and you know how long it takes to, you know, to get yourself to write your first book. For me, I'm on year, I don't know, eight or something of writing. And I just, I wanted to get my my words into the world. I was tired of just having them sit on my laptop. It's just yeah. excruciating to just have your work sitting there without, you know, without anyone to see it. That's not the point of writing stories. You know, you want to share them. So I was just at that point where I was, I was done. I was done waiting for someone to give me a green light. And I decided to give myself the green light. That's understandable. And and that's exactly what this is all about, right? As As an indie author, we... We do everything ourselves, but that also means we have to to give ourselves the green light. Like you said, we we need to step up, do it, and just get our stuff out there, or else it won't get done. And and you know that's it's so unfortunate when somebody has a story that is so good that's just sitting on a shelf or or in a drawer hidden away because there are so many people in the world, and there's at least one person who needs to hear your story, right? Yeah, and what what really got me is when I was talking to Theta, we were sitting down, and she was like. I, she's like, I read, I I read traditional books. I read indie books. And she's like, what gets me is I don't feel like traditional authors or traditional publishing has the right to tell me what I get to read. Mm -hmm. I feel like I should have the right as a reader to decide what I want to read. And I went home with that. And I was like, you know, you're right. Who gets, who gets to decide the stories that you're told? And I was like, just from a reader point of view. And that hit me hard. And I think that was one of the things that made me decide, you know what, if a reader wants to read my story, if they want to read about ghosts that are, you know, ghosts that are haunting a girl and the curse, and if that's what they want, I want to put it out there so they can read it. Yeah, absolutely. And, and is your series Brambles on Kindle Unlimited? Uh, the Right now, just the box set is on Kindle Unlimited. It's an Amazon exclusive, the the box set. So it's on Kindle Unlimited. Great. And are you seeing a good number of page reads from that? Yeah, I am seeing a pretty good number of page reads. Because I know that's so that's sometimes a, a trial and error, right, for authors. I know that I, I put my book in there for the first time about a month or even just a couple of weeks ago. So I'm in the beginning of the the trial phase. But, um, you know, so far it's going well. But I, I've seen a lot of posts on, you know, the you mentioned 20 books to 50K. Somebody just posted not too long ago about hitting over 10 million page reads. Yeah, um, I saw that too. And crazy. I wanted to um, stalk them a little bit and see what they write. <laughs> yeah, it's always interesting, right? To see these these millions of page reads from people. And then then also, you know, that they're getting a good number of sales as well. So there's there's something behind there. There's a, there's a magic process or a, um, a formula that they must be doing that, that we need to uh, explore and, and uncover. I know, right? I'm like, okay, I'm going to stalk you. I'm going to read your blurb. I'm going to see who's recommending your books. Right. See what and, you're doing. Yeah. <laughs> now on that topic though, it's it's also somewhat difficult, I know, for for a lot of authors to not compare their se- themselves to other people, specifically when they see posts like that. And and can you talk a little bit about the that feeling and and how it pertains to you and and if you ever have that fear of, you know, comparing yourself at your beginning to someone else's middle or end? Oh, definitely. Um, the the um, imposter syndrome jealousy is a real thing. I think for everybody, the you know seeing someone who's published twenty four books and you know is making six figures a year because you see that a lot on oh, yeah. twenty books to fifty k. It's kind of like a daily thing, <laughs> and you're like, I've written and I've I've personally published three, so I'm like, I've published three books and I'm still recouping all of my <laughs> startup money, <laughs> you know, because it's expen- you know it can be expensive to self publish. Oh, yeah. 
So I definitely get that. But, you know, for me, I have this little poster I put up in my writing room. I'm looking at it right now that reminds me every day um, that I'm learning and I'm growing and um, improving and that learning, growing and improving isn't a mistake. You know, where you are is great and um, where someone else is great too, or, or where other people is, you know, other people's success doesn't undermine your own, you know, we're right. authors. We really encourage each other to be cheerleaders for each other because this is a 20 book to 50 K two thing that um, more ships in the water, you know, bring in more readers. That doesn't sink your boat to have other boats around you. You know, it just brings yeah. in more tide or more. I, they say it more eloquently it's, than that, but it's something yeah, like that. Yeah. It's something like a uh, rising tides lift all boats. I think. Yes. That's what it is. Um, so it's a good reminder, but yeah, I definitely get the the green eyes of jealousy and I'm just like, oh, I want to sell, you know, I want a million page reads and I want, you know, we all want that, but you know, oh yeah. And you know, it's a good goal, but at the end of the day, you just have to write books, you know, that you love and, and you know, it's a grind. You just keep going every day, um, sharing your love for books and your love for your own books and your own stories. And eventually, you know, you start getting readers and it's really exciting. Mm -hmm. And I'd love to talk about that because I... I set something for myself. I had a goal right when I published that, and, and I've only got my first book out so far. I'm I'm about to publish book two um, soon, but um, you know, I had a goal when I initially published that if I had if I was receiving a message from somebody that directly was impacted by my story and the characters, then I would be happy. You know, mm -hmm. if there's just one person who is really happy with the book, and and I've already gotten a few of those messages and. You know that one of these people actually is going to be a beta reader for the rest of the series because they they just loved it so much and it resonated and they're a sensitivity reader as well with the the disability and chronic illness um, communities. So that's awesome. Um, in in me helping them, they're going to help me at the same time, which is just amazing. And I wonder if you if you have goals that you've set for yourself that that you've hit and and ones that you're already um, striving toward now that you're hoping to hit soon. Yeah. Goals is a good one. Um, I am working on my next series. It is Mental Health Dystopian, mm. still young adult. Um, so my goal for this year is to write and publish that series. Um, I haven't, I don't have a lot of goals around books sold or pages read or anything like that because those kind of goals I I just get really frustrated with. And yeah. that's just me personally, my own, my own stuff. But <laughs> um, I just want to get more of my my books out there though though I can say the the point where I felt really successful as an author happened last month I got one of those messages you know that that you were talking about about readers connecting and it was someone um who contacted me through my website and asked me um to please write them a fay story they wanted a, a a book written by me about fairies and wow. um, they outlined all the things that I could put in there and all the things they think would be interesting. And that really touched me. I was like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> that's really sweet of you that you have this idea and you think I could execute it well. So that was kind of the my wow moment of like, oh, I'm people, people like what I write. And that's really cool. Yeah, that's such an inspiring and and heartwarming message, right? And and how did you how did you respond to that, to that, that reader giving you this? this idea and telling you that they loved your writing so much that they want you to write this specific story for them. Oh, I just wrote them back an email, you know, telling them thank you um, for the idea. Um, one of their book, the the book they wanted me to write, I think is already on the market. Um, so <laughs> I gave them the name of that book. It's the, um, the Cruel Print series, which is really good. 
Oh yeah. It's a yeah, that's Holly book. Black, right? Yeah, Holly Black. It mm-hmm. was that book. And I was like, you know, I love your ideas and they're brilliant. Um, I think you would really like this book and um, I will definitely consider writing Faye. I think writing Faye would be fun. And they had a lot of other ideas about weaving it in, which was just really brilliant, really excellent um, kind of lore that they pulled from, from different areas, which was really, really interesting. So I just let them know that. And I thank them for taking the time, you know, to write me and to make my day and um, give me some things to think about. Yeah, that's so nice that somebody took their time to message you about about how much they love the book because you know, oftentimes also as indie authors, we don't get to see those sort of reactions or we don't get to engage with our readers as much or or sometimes we don't get very many reviews right away and it's hard to know, you know, gauge people's reactions and feelings and and because we're not a big name, sometimes it's hard to to be found a little bit and but when they do find us and they do message us, you know, it's it's such a it's such a touching thing. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's a big, big ocean, right? And we're just little fish in this, in this small pond. And when they, they swim out and they find us, it's, it's pretty, pretty amazing. So mm. I've had someone reach out to me recently on TikTok too, and ask me um, if they could ship me my books so I could sign them and then <laughs> send them back to them. And I was like, I will do that a hundred percent. I was so excited. So it's just those little moments of, yeah. yeah. It's like, Hey, my books mattered to you. And that's, you know, that's all this is done for is I just want my books to matter. So oh. it's a beautiful feeling. And and since you mentioned it, can you talk a little bit more about TikTok and its influence and, and social media in general and its influence on your sales and reader engagement? I have run the gauntlet of social media. I've kind of, I feel like I've done it all at this point. I do, I have a Twitter, I have Instagram, I, I've done a newsletter, I've done TikTok. Mm-hmm. Um, honestly, for young adult sales, I found that Twitter is not very helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, I found that Twitter is um, more for connecting with other writers, which is you no, know, you know, which is great. I love learning, you know, yeah. meeting other writers and learning about what they're doing. Um, but it's not great for young adult sales. At least that's what I found. Um, I found a few readers on Instagram. Um, a lot of my book reviewers are on Instagram. I've reached mm-hmm. out to a lot of um, bookstagrammers or what they're called, and I've asked them um, to review my series, give me honest reviews. Um, so I have at least, I think I have at least 30 active reviewers on Instagram that I work with, um, that I been sending my Bramble series and they've been, um, giving me honest feedback, which is really helpful as well mm-hmm. as lots and lots of pretty pictures of the series, which I hoard. <laughs> um, I love pictures, pretty pictures of my books. Um, but TikTok, I think has been the biggest, the most valuable platform for sales. Um, I'm fairly new though. I only started TikTok on December 1st of mm. um, 2020. So this is only my second full month. Um, but I have seen an improvement in sales. I doubled in December, my my normal sales. Oh, wow. So that was that was pretty exciting. Yeah. And, and TikTok is is such a such a big instrument right now, especially in the book community, because we have that book talk side of things, right? Mm-hmm. And and there are people, there are huge names um on book talk that are not huge names in in normal households, but but if you're on that community, you see a lot of the same people very frequently who are giving you book recommendations or writing tips or, you know, you name it. It's, it's on there if it, it's regarding books. And, and I just think it's such a great community. And, and I have to say, you know, on, on the TikTok side of things, I, I joined early on, uh, I think uh, maybe, maybe March um, 2020. But, mm-hmm. you know, I, I didn't have very many followers at first either. And, and I, I think even back in December, I had... Um, or November, I had like 400 and something. I, I'm over a thousand now, but that's, I think, because I, I, I put in a lot of time on the, the creation of videos for about a whole month leading up to my, 
my book release and then mm-hmm. and then post publication and and I saw an increase in sales because of that and I had people message me on on Instagram from saying I saw your TikTok and I bought your book so it's interesting that you also saw a direct correlation between TikTok and and sales. Mhm. Yeah, I think there's just something much more emotionally engaging to TikTok, you know, actually seeing someone's face and hearing them speak as opposed to, you know, a beautiful mm-hmm. picture of a book taken in the woods for Instagram, you know? <laughs> yeah. I think there's something about hearing someone's voice and seeing someone be ridiculous that makes you kind of <laughs> bond with them a little <laughs> bit more. I've posted a lot of ridiculous videos, so. <laughs> yeah, it's just a lot of fun, right, for us authors to to have a little bit of fun with our readers and, and give them a little bit of an insight on on our process and, uh, and us as a human being outside of our writing. Mm-hmm. It is fun. Yeah, that's the tough thing, right, about uh, traditionally published authors, I don't feel like I really don't feel like I know much about a lot of the traditionally published authors that I read. But if I read an indie book, I, I feel like I know that that author fairly well from their Instagram and their TikTok. Mm-hmm. It is interesting. And I feel like I'm getting to know other authors really well on TikTok, the ones that I follow and interact with. I'm, I'm Even though it's just been a couple months, I'm like, oh, I kind of feel like I know you as a person. And that's really, really amazing for a social media site, especially when we're, we're all selling our books. You know, we're all... Mm-hmm. You know, we're all putting ourselves out there and putting our writing out there. But it's it's just really beautiful to see other people's faces, I think, is what's really blown me away with with that app. Yeah, absolutely. I'd love to chat just briefly about the stigma of paranormal romance and how you've navigated that and if you've really experienced much in the way of that. I have had some stigma with paranormal romance. The most recent one was um, last month I was at the dentist <laughs> sitting in the chair um, and they were like, hey, what do you do? And I said, I'm an author. And they go, what do you write? And I said, young adult paranormal romance. And their face fell. And they were like, <laughs> like Twilight? And I said, yeah, but with ghosts. And they said, well, at least it's not vampires. And I glared at them. <laughs> I glared at them. And they looked at me and I was like, I like what I write. And then they think we're just kind of silent. Um, but yeah, there is, a, there is a huge stigma that, you know, that, and this is just in general with like, romance romance novels that they're not real mm. novels or that paranormal romance aren't real novels um and it's hard but it's it's kind of silly because of the amount of readers who gobble up paranormal romance it's a huge thing in young adults you know there's oh, yeah. there's fallen angels as a huge demographic and vampires and it's it's just such a relatable interesting genre that it's it's hard that so many people kind of you know poo poo on it because because of vampires so I don't know. I just, I just kind of deal with it and, um, get a little sassy. I'm, I'm a Slytherin, so I can't help it. <laughs> um, I don't know. It is kind of frustrating. Um, I think that any kind of novel can be a good novel, you know, novels that are written well with great themes and great plots and great characters are good novels, whether they're about, you know, man triumphing on top of the world or about a girl who falls in love with a vampire. I think, Mm -hmm. you know, literature can be really moving and beautiful uh, no matter what kind of characters you have. Um, But yes, I've definitely dealt with that and I'm just going to keep being sassy to people, I think. (laughs) I think that's just a great way to be, right? Right. If you can, Morgan, just give us your top advice or your best bit of advice for those uh, indie authors out there listening. I think this is the advice I hear most often, but I think I hear it most often because it's the most true is you just have to keep going. Being an author in any industry and traditional or about 
or an indie author is just about perseverance. It's about getting your words down. It's about learning. It's about reading other people's work. It's about improving yourself, asking for feedback. It's just an ongoing thing. You don't become an indie author overnight. You don't, you know, write the perfect book in an hour or mm-hmm. in a day. It's about it's about learning and growing and you just, it's baby steps and you just have to be willing to take those baby steps and they'll take you places. You just have to be patient, which I get is hard. I am not patient, but just keep going. That's amazing. I, I and you know I think I've heard that from a lot of different authors that I've talked to so far and and you know you said just just like you said, you hear it a lot because it it is so true. Mhm. There's cuz there's a million ways to publish a book. There's no right or wrong answer on, you know, your editor if you, how you do that or how you do your cover art or you know, what you write or what genre you you write. There's so many roads and so many avenues, but you have to go down one. You know, that's kind of the best advice is pick a road and just keep going and there's going to be potholes and you're going to get stuck and it's going to be frustrating. And but then you're going to have those aha moments where you're like, "Wow, I did it and I'm so proud of myself and I never thought I could do this." And those moments really make it worth it. You just have to be, you know, willing to walk to those moments. Absolutely. Now, Morgan, if people are interested in finding out more about you or your book, where can they go? Yeah. So my books um, are on Amazon and Barnes and Noble. They are going to be on Apple Books soon. My first book, for some reason, isn't there, but it will be soon. Um, as well as uh, Ingram Books, uh, which is used primarily for bookstores and libraries. Um, so all sorts of places. Um, if you want to learn more about me, I have a website, authormorganray.com, which will tell you all about my books. And then um, there's links there for um, all the websites as well. Great. Well, Morgan, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for joining us. If you'd like to support myself and the show, head on over to patreon.com slash today. I hope that you continue to enjoy these amazing guests each week and that you go away feeling a little bit more Indie Know.